This program is brought to you by PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. To learn more about this podcast, visit pli.edu slash pro bono podcast. And for more information about additional programs related to the global coronavirus crisis, visit pli.edu slash coronavirus. The question we're looking at today, should businesses get free legal help? And when I put it like that, your gut reaction might be no. But the sudden changes caused by COVID-19 have shown a light on how important small businesses are. It turns out 89% of U.S. businesses have fewer than 20 employees. Their impact on our lives is not small at all. But too often, we didn't realize just how important small businesses were to us until we saw them have to shut down in early 2020. COVID-19 might have caused many of us to see small business in a different way, but there are lawyers who have been noticing and recognizing small businesses' value to the community for a long time. These lawyers have worked for decades to strengthen neighborhoods by building partnerships with community leaders and local entrepreneurs. In this episode, we'll focus specifically on Detroit, talking with community development experts and transactional lawyers about how they were already saying yes to pro bono for small businesses and how they are pivoting to meet the challenges of this pandemic. Welcome to Pursuing Justice, the Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute, in which lawyers and clients talk candidly about their pro bono experiences. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken, and for 15 years, I was a legal services attorney in Chicago. Now, I'm a principal at Danu Center for Strategic Advocacy, a national organization supporting advocates and mission-based organizations in their own pursuit of social justice. I'm also a faculty fellow at PLI, where I get to work on special projects like this podcast. Organic growth is extraordinarily important. Anytime our society has overcome the difficulties, it's been the power of small business, been the power of individual people doing good things and going out there and making a difference and starting their, their economy and being a positive influence. That's Steve Roach, a partner at Miller Canfield Paddock and Stone, an international law firm founded in Detroit, Michigan in 1852. Steve believes that he contributes to the well-being of Detroit as a whole by volunteering his knowledge of corporate law to local small business owners. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about um, your law practice. What is your expertise? Some would ask me the same question after I've represented them. (laughs) I'm a trial lawyer by uh, training. My expertise has evolved into restructures and reorganizations, in addition to a very general uh, commercial practice. In terms of my expertise would be in the financial sector, banking and uh, Article 9, real estate, kind of the nuts and bolts of how money moves around. I have always been fascinated by the movement of money, you know, the role that money plays in society and how it moves and how it can be used in beneficial ways. If I'm being honest, 
It's tempting for a legal aid type like me to be skeptical about the role that money plays in our society. But a skilled corporate lawyer like Steve understands how fostering locals to launch an idea can be a way of making the change he wants to see in the world. I'm fond of helping small businesses either to solve problems, to identify issues, or, or to get started and get off the ground and, and to function. Um, and, and frankly, you know, it, it, it allows us and allows me to have a more significant impact on what's going on in our city, in Detroit, in terms of uh, helping people to start their businesses. And if they start their businesses and they're making money, that means people are getting employed, which means there's more money in the economy, which means there's more money being spent. And it just, it grows. One one thing I did, which was to help two women establish what I think was the first woman-owned bike shop in Michigan, certainly the first one in, in the city of Detroit. And uh, that, that, that involved, you know, reviewing their micro-grant application, their micro-loan application, assisting with the, you know, the establishment of their organizational documents and negotiating their lease with the Riverfront Conservancy. And that's the sort of things that allowed them to start their business and move forward their business without the level of anxiety that I think a lot of small business owners face in terms of, you know, negotiating a lease with a landlord who has you know, a well-heeled law firm and uh, just taking for granted whatever's in there because you want to get the deal done. Steve's firm, Miller Canfield, encourages their lawyers to contribute to the public good. Wendy Richards, a principal and the pro bono counsel at Miller Canfield, explains the firm's philosophy around deploying transactional lawyers to do pro bono in communities. You mentioned that there's a lot of transactional pro bono. So can you tell us more what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think traditionally people often think of pro bono as, as litigation opportunities, but quite frankly, there is a ton of work to be done in the transactional area. So looking at those non-litigation opportunities to help typically small businesses and profits deal with the kind of issues that often our paid clients were dealing with as well, giving them the connections to those organizations doing the great work and being able to help those organizations benefit so many people in their community that just a few hours of their time on the transactional side can really have a huge impact. And I just think that's a win-win. Steve, what does it mean for you to have access to transactional pro bono opportunities? You know, I find it very rewarding. To me, I, I can provide a greater value to a small business or to an individual with the skill sets and the, and really the knowledge of, of transactional law, real estate law, and banking law, than just, you know, helping them out in a landlord-tenant case, you know, or helping them out in litigation. Um, I, I can make a bigger difference. But even a small business is still a for-profit business. With all the desperate needs for legal assistance in evictions, immigration, and domestic violence, just to name a few, how does Miller Canfield know when volunteering their time to a particular small business really is the right place to spend their pro bono hours? The way we determine whether we take the business on is looking at, if they're a single-member LLC, we try to look at um, the individual who's really that, that 
the organization, right? Are they at 200% or below the poverty line? If we cannot do that, then we look at does that business really benefit a, a, an area that fits within generally 200% or below the poverty line, which is most of the city of Detroit, if you're looking at that. Or is it a nonprofit that serves a low-income community? So that's basically our criteria. But we do have no qualms with helping a business that may be for profit if we see that business being beneficial to an area or an individual that, that we would normally serve anyway. Um, and we see all this as part of a whole, like looking at you know, community economic development generally and looking at how a community or a locality is trying to come up with solutions that they see as what will sustain and strengthen their areas in order to provide those opportunities for those people to, to, to provide for their families, to pay for their children's education, to put food on the table and to hopefully potentially pass that business on to, to their own children down the road. And that's fully what we think is within this issue of access to justice, which is what drives our pro bono. So Miller Canfield intentionally stretches outside of its typical client base to do small business pro bono. But how do the people in need of help find the lawyers at Miller Canfield? This isn't the kind of legal problem that comes through a typical legal aid hotline. For several years, we ran something called the Small Business Legal Academy, which consisted of a series of panels on legal issues, followed by in-person consultations multi-day clinics that we brought in attorneys from um, Miller Canfield and we invited attorneys from other law firms to participate as well. Um, and we had attorneys from, I believe, all three of them, like the big three auto, but, which was really exciting to have all of them together to help on small business and entrepreneur development in this, in this environment. And those clinics were run typically, again, with other organizations. The job I, I like the most is really reaching out to our nonprofit partners to figure out where they have gaps or needs and and determine how best the law firms can meet those needs. Rather than kind of a one-off, how can we fit within sort of a broader system to be able to be a piece of that puzzle and work with them? We are strong partners with Michigan Community Resources on their clinics generally. So they do nonprofit clinics as well as small business assistance. And we always participate in those clinics whenever we have the opportunity to do so. Just like small businesses benefit from partnering with expert lawyers, pro bono lawyers benefit from partnering with community economic development experts. And in Detroit, those experts are at Michigan Community Resources, which is led by Shamil Dobbs. Michigan Community Resources, or MCR for short, is a 20-year-old nonprofit intermediary uh, serving in the state of Michigan. Our offices are located in the city of Detroit. Most of our work is concentrated in the city of Detroit. And we started off 20 years ago um, under the basic premise from our founder at the time, Steve Tabachman, of connecting nonprofit organizations <laughs> and community-based organizations to the private bar. And it was really with the goal of not only attuning to their legal needs, but really having an opportunity to discern and identify ways that not only our organization, but the partners that we have worked with along the years can serve a host of capacity building services for those respective organizations. We serve roughly about 400 unique nonprofit and community-based organizations every year. And what do MCR's legal services look like? Maureen Krasner, MCR's Senior Program Manager, explains. 
It comes in a variety of ways that we deliver different legal services. We have a program called Office Hours, where once a month we meet with different community-based groups or individuals that want to start nonprofits for hour-long consultations. We also provide direct services where we work with them to coach them and help them to um, deal with legal problems. And a large part of our work is referring organizations to pro bono counsel. We, we vet them and get them ready for pro bono assignment. So we send out a monthly digest where pro bono counsel can select different cases that they want to take, whether it be a trademark application, uh, development of a, a commercial lease. It's a, it's a wide variety, contracts, any type of transactional legal, not anything short of litigation. We also do clinics where we have compliance clinics. Uh, we also do workshops where we present on things like real property issues. And then finally, we also do uh, legal toolkits, different, different checklists, alerts, and manuals to help with different legal issues. The goal is, is to remove those obstacles and to help counsel on the way to not only be healthy, but to allow them the time and the comfort to be able to focus on their goal by giving them quality legal advice that helps get through any barriers. Over the last couple years, MCR has also found ways to expand its support for small businesses in the neighborhoods where MCR already works with nonprofits. My name is Albert Pack, and I am a program manager and attorney and Skadden Fellow at MCR. A Skadden Fellowship is a highly coveted legal fellowship for new lawyers who go to a nonprofit organization and implement a two-year project. Skadden Fellows are like the Rhodes Scholars of public interest lawyers. My focus was on, or and is still on, uh, supporting the small businesses and entrepreneurs that serve the communities that, that MCR has served for, for many years. The mission of MCR is to really strengthen communities by strengthening the organizations that, that are within them. And I think traditionally, when we think about these uh, organizations that are serving the community, we are automatically, our minds go to nonprofits. But you know, through you know, different interactions I've had with, with members of the community, with uh, different businesses in the community, you, we've seen that a lot of times these businesses have been very longstanding in the communities that we serve and have really weathered some, of, some really difficult times, yet have stayed committed to the neighborhoods that they're located in. So in many ways, it's not just nonprofits that are strengthening uh, these neighborhoods that we work in. It's very much these for-profit entities that, you know, they may have a different tax-exempt status, but uh, are in many ways just as pivotal to the heartbeat of the neighborhoods that we serve. The specific focus of my fellowship is to to close the legal access gap that these these entities face in kind of building their businesses or continuing their businesses. So Maureen mentioned already a lot of the different types of work that we that we do in the area of transactional law. So a lot of that work transfers over to the small business context. So whether it's reviewing leases or contracts, uh, advising them on different employment law matters, it's, uh, you know, we really try to activate the private bar here in, in Michigan and Metro Detroit in particular to be able to fill that gap to support these organizations and make them as strong as possible. Well, this past year, we've been piloting different in-person legal clinics with different business service organization partners in the city. So in Detroit, we're really fortunate to have um, a really wide network of organizations that are 
solely dedicated to providing technical assistance, microfunding, and just wraparound support to small businesses and entrepreneurs in the city. And our, our whole kind of theory of change to, for our in-person legal clinics was like, we, we don't want to just create, you know, these standalone, very much transactional uh, in both sense of the word, a legal clinics where people come in, get a service, and then they're out the door. And, you know, we're done with our uh, pro bono requirement. We really want to create strong partnerships with this, with these business service organizations who are already on the ground, just providing kind of uh, very periodic, regular services to these small businesses and, and create clinics in conjunction with them. And that's afterwards, you know, these uh, small businesses could have a way to, to build off of the legal advice that they received and to come back, you know, to future clinics. Obviously all of that came to a bit of a screeching halt uh, a few months ago, but you know, that, that mindset of using this partnership model to, to do this virtual legal clinic is still very strong and kind of at the, at the core of this virtual legal clinic. As with most other parts of society, COVID-19 has ravaged the small business community. In normal times, about one in 12 small businesses will close each year, and that's most often because of cash flow problems. But right now, the numbers are grim. In response to a Main Street America survey in early April, a majority of entrepreneurs said they may close forever if the COVID business disruption continues for five months. And we know the business disruptions have continued. In the second quarter of 2020, the U.S. economy had its worst quarter in post-World War II history. And of course, right when small business owners may need lawyers the most, COVID-19 has also disrupted the service models for pro bono legal help. You know, we've, COVID-19 has come up. It's a huge shift for everyone. What have you seen among the clients that you serve, how it's shifted what they need? Especially in the beginning of COVID-19, where we weren't really sure where this was headed or the magnitude of, of the impact, um, we were still thinking about ways of trying to still implement some of our in-person programming. But clearly when we saw that that, um, that would be an impossibility, at least for the next few months, we had to really rapidly reimagine the delivery of our legal services, uh, adapt to new technologies. And for us, that meant, okay, we are gonna take the learnings that we had developed from our in-person legal clinics and apply them to the virtual context. So this past year, we've been piloting different in-person legal clinics with, with different uh, business service organization partners in the city. Actually, before we launched our virtual legal clinic, we had multiple calls with each of them to say, hey, look, this is what we're trying to do. We don't want to just uh, operate this as uh, a standalone service where we're just a, pretty much a glorified Google or legal Zoom search and then you're out the door. We want to actually be very deliberate about trying to be a resource for your existing clients and kind of work with you to develop a more partnership, holistic approach. So that is kind of what we are trying to do and, and replicate. So while the format of our you know, small business legal clinics has changed quite a bit, we, we hope that, that that mindset and that approach is still at the center of it. We've seen a lot of uh, transition to more questions that are of a more emergency 
like nature, um, especially as they relate to uh, COVID-19, those tend to be, uh, you know, difficult questions related to employment, you know, layoffs, furloughs, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, loan forgiveness, and how to stay compliant. Uh, what ki- what type of corporate governance steps do I need to take to to make sure that I'm you know, really uh, staying ahead of these these loan and grants uh, requirements? We're very blessed to be working with a lot of volunteer attorneys who belong to firms that are really at the uh, the frontier of, of a lot of research in this area to be able to advise these small businesses. And, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, and I know that we've lifted up Miller Canfield quite a bit, um, but, you know, really they were our, our strong partner from the get-go to help us uh, launch this virtual legal clinic. Miller Canfield is a longtime partner of, of MCR. And they're tremendous. Miller Canfield is one of the main big firms that we work with. And Wendy is the pro bono coordinator who helps us to coordinate things through, you know, getting these different transactional matters met. That strong partnership positioned MCR to adapt quickly when the COVID-19 business restrictions hit. We asked Wendy Richards and Steve Roach back at Miller Canfield to describe their role in helping MCR and small businesses respond to the pandemic. Obviously, we're seeing a huge, uh, enormous amount of strain on the small business community. The need is critical and expertise is in-house right now. We're ready to go. The COVID pandemic has uh, allowed us to utilize more fully and completely our technology. It also allowed us to really supercharge our resources that that we provide to clients on a, a, a free content, but also is provided to others. Um, you know, as we were putting out our early um, e-alerts, resources such as PPT, Paycheck Protection Program, and the Emergency Loan Program, I distributed to a large number of my contacts in the nonprofit world and small business owners to give them the opportunity to take advantage of these programs. One way uh, that not businesses can get assistance for um, legal questions is through uh, the COVID remote clinic that MCR um, and Miller Canfield and other law firms are working on that came to us through a initiative through the Lawyers for Good Government Foundation. And it's been set up in other cities. New York was the first, um, Detroit was the second. And businesses can go to that portal and sign up if they have 25 or fewer employees. But we pair that business with an attorney for a 45 minute consult in an area that um, matches the area of need. So if the attorney has expertise in real estate and the questions related to real estate, we'll find a match and, and connect those two for a 45 minute to an hour consult. That's to handle sort of the emergency request. Once those requests though have been met, um, they go back into the system with the hope that those businesses can then be referred to another agency that can help in some other way for a longer term assistance. And what has it been like for lawyers to do virtual consultations? so they can jump in on emergency issues for stressed-out small business owners. I think the difficulty on the pro bono side, particularly in, in, with small businesses, is, is a trust factor when you don't have the ability to see somebody and to eyeball them and to have your, your stack of papers that you can kind of pull out and sort through 
um, because you don't have things that are stored electronically. You know, I, I think that's going to be a significant hurdle for the, you know, the virtual consultation. You know, I've, I've participated in some of the clinics that uh, Wendy was talking about. And, you know, for the first, you know, five to 10 minutes of the 30 minutes it's allocated, you're establishing a rapport of trust. Otherwise, it's, you know, all you're doing is lecturing and it's going in one ear and going out the other because they didn't trust you and they aren't going to trust anything that you have to say. That, I think, is probably the, the biggest hurdle. And, and what I've noticed in my experience in, so far and in, in through the um, COVID uh, resource program that um, MCR is doing is the communication issue. I'm used to picking up the phone, calling somebody who wants my advice, and they pick up the phone and talk to me, or they call me back. I'm used to sending an email when somebody wants my advice and having them respond to my email. I'm, you know, it's it's different when you know they kind of aren't sure whether they should talk to me. They don't feel comfortable about it. They, uh, you, you see a lawyer when you're in trouble, right? Uh, and so, you know, it's like, geez, I, I, I'm in trouble if I'm talking to a lawyer. No, you don't have to be in trouble. We're not, we're not a priest and you're going to confession. Our goal is to help our clients go from where they are to where they want to go, you know, basically to go from point A to point B, if you will. And which sometimes means that, you know, to get from A to B, you have to go through a couple other steps. It isn't always just a straight line, as you know. Um, but it is what I think will be the difficult part is overcoming the, the trust factor. And uh, if we can successfully overcome that, I think this is going to be an absolutely terrific way of, of helping people. You know, I'm eagerly awaiting, you know, the next assignment I can get to, to help somebody out in the areas that, that I'm well-versed in and to help them plan to help them overcome, to help them succeed and, you know, to open back up and, and be vibrant. But I, I can't help them if they don't sign up. I can't help them if they, they don't feel comfortable in the process. What strikes me is that you, um, in the work that you want to be doing for nonprofits and small businesses is about legal needs, like not there's a crisis which is often why people are talking to a lawyer, they've been arrested or they're getting a divorce and it's a crisis situation, but you want to be in the space of saying, let's build a foundation and let me help you build a foundation so that there will be anywhere from fewer to no crises in the future of your organization. But that can be a hard thing to capture people's attention about, um, especially if they have already been running something without a foundation and it hasn't gone wrong yet. Uh, I think it can be um, tricky business to uh, to capture their attention and say it's worth it to focus in, even when you're offering them extraordinarily skilled, free legal assistance. And, and that is a question I think about um, that sometimes what clinics can do is create uh, an appointment. And so it almost manufactures an urgency. There's a, if you ever want to talk to a lawyer and not have to pay for it, this is the night you're going to have to show up. And so it can actually manufacture urgency for people. Wendy, um, what are your thoughts about how this rapid fire shift 
um, for lawyers and how they connect with clients might have permanent changes in how we do um, pro bono work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and Steve makes such great points in terms of the building of trust. And so much of that is that personal rapport. Um, and Steve is really good at it, right? Like Steve is really good at being disarming in those environments to make people feel like this is, he's here to help, right? And so that is something I think is going to be missed. But a benefit of it is that there are some logistical barriers, of course, to being able to attend the clinics in person. I mean, there's transportation issues. Um, there could be child care issues. There could be, you know, work issues that could prevent uh, someone from being able to make it to that clinic. So the flexibility of this remote clinic kind of model does have some advantages in that regard. So in some ways, I feel like we may see people more comfortable in this remote environment working with remote hearings. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful for that. It's just a matter of being able to connect with those clients. I agree, though, with Steve that this is absolutely an easy way to be able to do a lot of good pro bono work in a very flexible manner for those who want it. And, and I'm hopeful that the more people get comfortable with the technology and, and the means of communication, um, the more we'll see actually good work being done this way. After doing all of these interviews and research, what I think now is that small businesses are vital to community. And the ones with strong foundations can act quickly to take advantage of emergency programs. But it's hard to be in that position if you don't have access to good legal advice, both in normal times and in crisis times. With the right partnerships and the right technology, this kind of pro bono can save businesses that might be on the edge. But since transactional pro bono doesn't get the splashy front page story that something like overturning a wrongful conviction can bring, we wondered, how do the lawyers doing the work feel after donating their expertise to local business owners? Here's what I can say definitively. I've never had a volunteer attorney volunteer at a clinic, whether it's virtual or in person, and say, man, I wish I hadn't signed up for that. <laughs> you know, I've never had someone say, that did not meet my expectations. You know, more often than not, we see these same names, or these same attorneys rather, um, sign up again and again for future clinics. And they, they come to us saying, you know, a lot of times uh, I am just communicating with my clients through email or conference calls, but to sit face to face with someone and to be able to leverage your legal experience uh, and, and in fact your business law experience in this type of legal aid context is such a rare kind of a rare opportunity. Honestly I, I, I love the ability to make someone's life better in some way um, and if that's to ease a burden or take away a stress from a client or if it's to provide them with an opportunity they didn't realize that they had or to provide an attorney an opportunity to actually feel good <laughs> about the job the job in the career that they chose or to give that junior associate you know some some chance to make a difference um, and feel empowered um, all of those are such incredibly gratifying experiences and the the obligation that not only as lawyers but just as 
human beings uh, to help and to improve and make a difference. Our legacy really is, you know, what what we make of our life and how we leave the world better when we're done. Um, you know, I, I just don't want to be one of those who my sole contribution was uh, to intake oxygen and output carbon. I don't want to be that person. And this is extraordinary times and we need to help each other. We need to sacrifice in the ways that we can sacrifice to make a difference. These are extraordinary times, and lawyers are making extraordinary contributions to their communities. If you have expertise in transactional legal work, you can get involved. Talk to your firm's pro bono leaders and check with your local or state bar association for the many opportunities to help out. Thanks for listening to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. This production is dedicated to the pro bono and public interest lawyers working to improve access to justice. A special thanks goes to our producer, Daniel Pinitz, as well as our host, Alicia Aiken. Please note that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast represent those of the individuals being interviewed and not necessarily those of PLI. PLI is a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys and other professionals at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. For more information about PLI's wide-ranging curriculum of pro bono programs, visit pli.edu slash pro bono.